This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Such Sights to Show, a all things Clyde Barker podcast. I'm Joe Lipsit, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Brian Christopher. Hi, Brian. Hey, Joe. And I think this is a first where we're not alone. It's true. Yes, we have used the opportunity to bring in a horror queers crossover. So I'm delighted to welcome also Trace. Hi, Trace. Hi, everyone. Thank you for letting me everyone, both of you come. Thank you for letting me come and crash your party. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is like a a retcon uh, from all the complaining that I did about not being able to be on your bloodline horror queers episode. So this is kind of... (laughs) This is kind yes. of just, uh, yeah, just just bringing it back to that. Yeah. yeah, I have caught so much shit from Brian over the years of like, <laughs> you invited me on other ones, but not the Bloodline episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we we've had you on one, three, and soon to be two, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if we actually had you on one or not, but um, wait, no, we fuck. Do we cover four first, Joe? We did. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if if I remember correctly, by the time you're done, the order is going to have been four, three, one, and two. Correct. And which is such a shame because two is my favorite one. So the fact that we had to wait four years to do that is real bullshittery. Well, it's just building up to it. It's like pretty much nearly all of ours. It's either one or two is your is your favorite. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we started with the, the controversial one, then the silly one, and then moved into the good ones. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we also have been waiting for anniversaries, so. That's true. That's true. That's true. But, <laughs> I mean, there's a special occasion for this one, though, right? Yes. Yeah. We are talking about the Hellraiser Bloodline work print. So we've talked about four. So, Brian, mm-hmm. you and I have talked about it. Trace, you and I have talked about it. Right. And then Brian and I have a separate episode dedicated to Peter Atkins's original screenplay that presumably attracted kevin yeager and now we're getting this work print which is part of the arrow quadrilogy 4k set folks we've talked about it before gorgeous package Mm -hmm. but this is basically the raison d'etre to buy this set because no one has ever seen this before and brian i'm gonna kick it to you first because you and i have speculated so long about what this work print was going to involve and it was not what we ended up getting, I'm surprised to say. Uh, I, I think the best thing I can do is to manage expectations in the same way that Arrow managed expectations. And I'm going mm-hmm. to read the little precursor <laughs> that they give. Yes. Because I think this is all about managing expectations. Okay. Because uh, you sent me a, a screenshot of this. And yeah, it, it's very noticeable what they're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. The following version of Hellraiser Bloodline is a work print with temporary music and sound effects. 
It was assembled sometime after Kevin Yeager's departure from the film. Even though his name is still listed as director in the opening credits, it is most emphatically not his director's cut, which remains lost. <laughs> this version, yep. which has a different plot structure and some alternate material compared to the final quote-unquote Alan Smithy cut, is presented from a time-coded VHS, the best material available for this release. So basically, this is them saying, like, for those hoping for the Yeager cut – this is not that. This was the closest <laughs> we could get. Yeah. 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 Which, honestly, I mean, like, the biggest change for me, though, I was like, oh, we're just telling it chronologically. Like, there are a couple of new scenes, extended scenes, alternate scenes, but the mm -hmm. biggest change for me is that chronological narrative. Right. Which, of course, is the way that the film was originally meant to be presented before it was hacked to bits and we get this Alan Smithy cut. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting to see it as it was intended to originally play out. Although even here, it's still not the way that Atkins originally envisioned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like here, even though they don't do the framing where it starts in space and then comes back, it's still like it's somehow even less structured so that you get like more of the, the past, like at least in the, the Alan Smithy cut. There's kind of a uh, a satisfying narrative structure where it's like, yeah, you get the space framing, but you still get like past, present and future. And here mm -hmm. it does technically start in the past, but like only like a little amuse-bouche of like what that whole first act was supposed to be. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it's kind of sprinkled in a little bit here and there as flashbacks in the quote unquote present day and the, the future act. But it's, I, I don't know, the way this was structured seemed, it was actually a, somehow a little bit less satisfying just as a narrative structure than the Alan Smithy version for me. Oh, that's actually really interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I actually do prefer the Alan Smithy version, um, but I Ooh. did prefer the chronological narrative because, I mean, look, it, I've seen Bloodline a couple times, a theatrical cut, but it was really fun for me to be like, oh, if we had gotten this and it's like, oh, you feel like the movie's going to end when, you know, Pinhead and Angelique get sucked back to hell. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, there's still 30 more minutes and we're going to space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because remember, originally the intent was that people wouldn't even know the space stuff was coming because there would be no hint of it at all and this work print does give us a real good taster of yep uh you would honestly think okay we were doing two different timelines a little tiny bit in the past mm -hmm. that's what we're getting in this work print you know we are we are losing a fairly substantial amount of time in the france section so I would say the work print is dominated by the middle 1996 timeline but it is interesting like you know it reverts us back to all those conversations the two of us have had about you know would people have been genuinely surprised to not know that the spaceship was coming i think that just makes an assumption that there was going to be people going into this who either a hadn't seen the trailer or they mm -hmm. weren't going to hint that pinhead was going to space in the trailer which yeah, i just right. don't see a universe where that happens like that's gotta be one of your bigger hooks to get people in the seats for this movie like it's gonna be pinhead in space so mm -hmm. but but they did do that with a theatrical cut and people didn't go see it <laughs> <laughs> truly well i mean i think that's a larger conversation about like how how mainstream any of barker's work was ever sure. going to be and they kind of kept trying to push this as making him like the the next slasher craze and like that was never going mm -hmm. to happen 
like even the biggest that it got, or like I think the the closest it got to mainstream was probably the first one, and even that was still fairly niche. Uh, so yeah, the fact that they kept like <laughs> stop trying to make slasher pinhead happen, I think, was the lesson <laughs> from this. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what Hell on Earth is to me. That's the most commercial effort a Hellraiser mm-hmm. film has ever been because we move predominantly to America. We do a bunch of nightclub action with hot young people. <laughs> and Pinhead becomes his most Freddy Krueger-ish in that one. So I can't help but wonder if War was intended to be not just a kind of final chapter version of this, but yeah, something where, Trace, you said this offline, it's basically a fond farewell. Like, this is the final installment of, like, a contained story, which makes all the more sense when you see that Arrow has finally packaged the four films together, right? Like, this is Pinhead from beginning to his... I was going to say untimely end, but I guess he's lived for thousands of years at this point because, yeah, it's set, you know, in the far-off future in space. Well, is it thousands? Oh, yeah, because it's 21. The year's 21, yeah. So it's been, mm-hmm. like, a little over a thousand years because didn't he die in World War I? Uh Yes. Okay. That's still not we, good math. For even us. twenty-one, <laughs> even twenty-one. Wow, math is not proven to be our friend. But like, no, we're talking about a couple hundred years, not a no, thousand no, no, no. Years. It's it, it's it's a little over a thousand years. No, it'd be thirty something if it was like it would start with a three if it was over a thousand years. Oh Jesus Christ! You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but no, it's okay. We have literally had these math conversations. I think on both versions, both of the horror queers <laughs> as well as such sex to show. I haven't had my coffee yet, so my brain is not working. But no, I, I agree <laughs> with what you're saying though, because yeah. So Arrow released that Scarlet box set. Um, God, eight years ago, and God, is it only that? I thought it was ages ago. <laughs> no, 2016. 2016. Okay. And it only included those first three movies because and I, I want to say I read somewhere where they were like, well, fans hate the fourth one, so we're not going to include that. And that always kind of bummed me because even though like I, I can see why people would think four is the weakest of the first four, it does. It does tell the complete, quote unquote, story of Pinhead from his mm-hmm. birth to his eventual death in space. And so... I feel like a lot of people who have never made it past the first two, maybe even the first three films, don't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like a derivative, schlocky sort of, oh, God, this is where franchises go to die. Send them to space. Entry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's start a little bit at the beginning. So Brian and I have mentioned that there are fewer scenes set in France in this one. One of the other very, very notable things that folks may catch on is we're finally hearing Valentina Vargas's original voice. What is with the compulsion to dub over Clive Barker characters? I mean, I guess it's technically <laughs> not a Clive Barker character in this one, but like Clive Barker's originated stories with just like middle of the road, usually American accents, because yeah, that was Mm -hmm. one of the big things I noticed hearing Valentino Vargas's actual voice. It's so much better. Like I liked it in the theatrical Mm. cut, but like it was so much better with her, her actual voice in this one. Mm -hmm. She's obviously a European actress and she's even more sexy and seductive. Like, you know, we're very much getting that from the Angelique character. And of course, the three of us are Angelique ride or die stands. So it's one of the big Mm -hmm. complaints we've always had about this film. But she is so much more memorable and seductive in this film, just with the revert back to her original voice. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say you get a little bit more from her in this one, thankfully. Like, in addition to the voice, yep. you, you get at least little hints of, you know, because I think one of our biggest complaints about the, the Smithy cut is that when you get to space, she is just a henchman mm-hmm. through and through, and her yep. storyline is completely dropped. They at least hint back to the fact that, like, she was the princess of hell for a long time, and she's had this, like, ongoing relationship with the the merchant bloodline. So it's still mm-hmm. not fully satisfying, but it's at least an effort in this one. Yeah, there were more stretches in the middle where I was like, okay, yeah, I, I like watching her scheme more with the merchant character. I could have used mm-hmm. way more scenes between her and Pinhead, but yes. I like what you said, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's you're getting a taste of what the intended cut was, but yeah, we're still just, this was more similar to the theatrical cut than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even when we read Atkins's original screenplay, we expected more of her in the future space timeline. And it's not there. It's like they just clearly do not understand how to use the Angelique character as the film progresses. Such a but bummer. both right. I, I actually prefer this cut for her characterization because she not only gets to do a little bit more scheming, we do get a few more scenes of her with Pinhead. But I also think that when we move into the space timeline, it makes more sense about why she is in this role. Mm-hmm. And there's there's one meaningful exchange between her and Space Merchant. And she she almost seems like her old self, right? Where she is trying to woo him. She's saying, you mm-hmm. know, like, we can go back because you've got all these memories from the past of, like, your predecessors, like your ancestors and me. Don't you want to go back to that? And he rejects her, of course, because Space Merchant is boring and doesn't want to live an interesting life. But <laughs> I I really thought just the addition of that single scene, which is not in the Smithy cut, mm-hmm. makes a huge difference to me understanding, like, just what the fuck is she doing as Pinhead's puppet in the future? Yeah. Okay, so maybe aside from Angelique, let's talk about a few other little differences. One of the things that I liked in the France section is that we do get a glimpse of her killing the men that uh, the duke guy has invited over so that's hints of the original screenplay where we were gonna get the the clowns murdering these men so again not quite as much as i had maybe hoped for but even getting to see some of this with the finish vx was more than i was expecting to get from the work print well that that's something i will say this was much more put together than i was expecting like i was oh, expecting yeah. like okay I mean, this might be like a kind of like outside baseball because we're not talking about this but like when we watch those chucky screeners and we see like mm-hmm. fill in vfx for rain or like we see puppet i was expecting that kind of stuff on this and so while some of the uh-huh. cgi effects look not great okay. yeah their VHS level quality too. Yeah, well, they, they kind of look how I would expect a 1996 CGI to look. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was also there was something kind of interesting for me about watching it in this format because it did. There was something kind of nostalgic about like it felt like I was watching it on a VHS tape because that's what Absolutely. it's based off of. So it was almost seeing this like relic, which was kind of cool. So yeah, seeing that sequence play out with the aristocrats in 18th century France, you get the hints of that. 
it only just kind of twisted the knife a little bit deeper for me about like what we could have seen. And mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you got a chance to watch Trace. You had mentioned that, you know, there are certain things where you'll see it's such a work print that there's just like a insert effects here slide or something uh-huh. like that. On the disc for the work print, there were additional scenes, and they did have some of those 18th century France scenes Mm -hmm. where, like, some of this stuff I don't think ever got shot. They certainly didn't do the effects for it because there was a lot of that in these alternate scenes where it Mm -hmm. just said, this is where – because there was, like, an alternate Jacques death. Um, Yeah, and it's, like, Jacques screaming in agony, but it's just written out on a black screen. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, like – it was it seemed almost intentional where it was just like you've bought this this uh quadrilogy you're very excited to see these scenes and you get there and it's just it's almost like that grindhouse bit where they're getting to that lap dance with kurt russell and they do like the scene missing yeah (laughs) like it kind of felt like that except it was just like clearly they didn't get to these scenes so yeah i don't think we're if nothing else joe i feel like this gave us closure of like we're never yeah. going to see a Jaeger cut. We will never see anything else. This is as good as it's going to possibly ever get. Honestly, and this will never, ever, ever happen. But I would just love for some like studio to just take the original screenplay and just make the movie with a new cast. And mm-hmm. it, again, it'll never happen because who's going to go see Hellraiser 4 Bloodline now? But yeah. I'm happy y'all can get closure because of this. (laughs) (laughs) It also gave me a little bit of just kind of overall closure about the fact that, you know, I think, Joe, one of the things we've talked about a lot is that part of our affection for Bloodline is that we feel like there was the possibility of a really great movie there. So it's what's both great and really frustrating about it. But I think, honestly, between seeing this and between mm-hmm. reading the original screenplay, it also gave yep. me closure in knowing that, like, I don't think this was ever a really great movie. Like, I don't think this is something you can just write off on studio interference. This was something mm-hmm. that was, like, I think inherently flawed from Go in terms of, like, we had numerous complaints about what they did still with Angelique, even in the original screenplay. They didn't know what yep. to do with her. It just reiterated, like, it, to a certain degree, at least at this point, we know that there's not like this mythical version of this movie out there that got everything right. Like right. this was always like, it It, it was kind of a, a reality check where it's like, this was a mid nineties kind of cash grab movie that was there to kind of like, you know, give the quote unquote finale to this series and wasn't ever really going to be something that reached the artistic merits of the original it is kind of frustrating though because and I'm, I'm sure that joe you and i talked about this in our bloodline episode way back when but it's just like i could easily see angelique being like a spin-off character where we're following Absolutely. her now and you know what if a gay man had written this and been like in charge of this that might have mm-hmm. actually happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah it definitely seems like they didn't understand how appealing someone like angelique could be where you know, we're not ready to give you Pinhead because his part of the story hasn't begun because technically Angelique is the Pinhead of her day. But yeah, it is kind of wild that nobody just did a quick little, you know, hey, 
popularity poll, what do we think of Anjali? Do we ever want to bring her back? And folks, if you are interested, you haven't been listening to such sites to show, Brian and I spend a lot of time speculating between our discussion of the comics and back when we thought uh, that HBO Hellraiser series was maybe going to happen. We spent a bunch of time hypothesizing about how they could bring Angelique back in a more sustained capacity still to this day. You know what? If we get a sequel to that reboot, maybe. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I truly don't know if we will ever see another Hellraiser. I think we will, but it'll be one of those like, we'll wait another 10 to 15 years and then somebody will say like, I'm going to revamp this with a new remake and we'll cast all new actors all over again and try to retell the same story. And has, has there been any momentum on a sequel to that reboot at all? I haven't heard, heard anything. Man. Not a peep. Yeah. The fact that we got that and Prey from Hulu and then Hulu's like, well, I guess we could give you Prey as a physical media release, but like, that's all we're interested in doing. <laughs> yeah. What a yeah. missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it's also just a reminder of the frustration about how how poorly the the hellraiser series treats its women villains like both mm, julia mm-hmm. and angelique so many opportunities to explore their stories in other formats again going back to you know the the comics revisited so many of these characters and mm-hmm. you just you never hear from julia cotton or angelique ever again in any yeah. of these new iterations that have come out yeah Like, Trace, we scoured the various Hellraiser media, like comics, other, Mm -hmm. like, written versions of it, and those two characters don't ever come back. Like, fucking Tiffany from 2 comes back in a hugely sustained (laughs) way in the comics, and you're like, and no Julia. Really? Really? I mean, do you think any of that has to do with Claire Higgins' refusal to come back for any of them after 2? Because, I I mean, she did refuse. I mean, I mean, that makes sense for the movies, but these were the comics. Like, I would assume that they had the rights to the characters. Mm -hmm. I can't think it was. And they were, you know, doing a thing in the comics where it's not like they actually made them look like the actors or actresses that played them. So I don't think it was a likeness thing. I hmm. yeah I don't know, Brian, because Kirstie Cotton looks exactly the same. Does she? Oh well, I would need to to go back for whatever reason i i didn't i don't remember any of the characters going like oh they they drew ashley lawrence or they drew doug bradley i remember them at least being in the vicinity of like what the character would look like but i just Mm. i didn't remember them looking like the the actors or the actresses themselves yeah Mm. definitely in a couple of iterations but yeah just for whatever reason we've we've never been able to find out why but yeah it's like these two female villains angelique and julia cotton they just seem to be either off the table or off everyone's radars. That's and so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Do we want to talk at all about the 1996 timeline? Because it does feel like that's where the work plan wants to spend most of its time and energy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, my favorite, I guess, addition or alternate thing is is during the climax of this timeline mm-hmm. where they're trying to do the, the oh God, whatever his device is to shut down hell or whatever. And yep. like a chain shoots out of Pinhead's mouth and he like lifts himself up. Like I was yeah. like, cackled. that's cackled. really cool. <laughs> it looks great. I can't believe they got rid of it. <laughs> and I just love the idea of him kind of just hanging up there like a cornered cat or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
and just kind of like looking down with this scowl as as everything kind of goes to shit. I think it's the Elysium configuration. If yes, I remember that, correctly. That, that is the name. And then you have Angelique like holding the little boy like, no, why isn't it working? It's like, well, because he chained himself up to the ceiling, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I also like that Merchant in this timeline has he's actually struggling to make this work, you know it does sort of build up anticipation of him finally getting it right for the space timeline. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's basically like, oops, I got decapitated before I could really do anything. Ooh, his decapitation also looks better in the work print. Yeah, some of the special effects, like I know we said some of them look pretty dodgy and some of them are very like, oh, I did this on my, you know, my Linux 96 or whatever. <laughs> day. But it does feel like they touched up some of the gore so that you do get it. Like we get a more impressive extended sequence of the twins being conjoined. And I was like, yeah, this looks good. Yeah. I think even Jacques death. has. I mean, it's not like an extended scene, but I think there's a few more shots of her fingers going into his face. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She she holds that like when she bites it and then she kind of like fingers the wound a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. they hold on to that a while longer. In the yeah, which is good because this movie was kind of hurting for sex, right? Like there's a little bit with her and Merchant in the 96 timeline, but there's more with Meryl Streep's like suggestions <laughs> of she knows that her husband is cheating on her with this really hot exotic lady. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she like that. Those characters still feel very superfluous. Like, I don't know why we need a kid in this movie, but whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just to establish that the bloodline will continue. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I thought another little fun, I guess not addition, but thing that was left in that that didn't make the the Smithy cut was in the the little precursor scene, the little tête-à-tête between Pinhead and Angelique before the twin sequence, where he does mm-hmm. that thing where he, he kind of like hooks into her sternum. Yes. They oh, yeah. definitely draw that a little bit more, and obviously, uh-huh. you know, they're they're going for some some vaginal uh imagery when he's kind of like fingering the wound a little bit Mm -hmm. uh that was like the little squelching sounds and stuff like that (laughs) that was i kind of wish they had make the final cut yeah i agree Mm -hmm. with that yeah i mean it's interesting right because a lot of this just feels like oh we took some of this out for pacing or because we wanted to get to the space stuff a little bit faster and so on but even though so much of this is similar or it's just like a couple of extra beats or something, some of this really does feel like, ooh, you could put that back in the Smithy cut. And I do think it would improve the film. Like, as you said, Brian, it's not going to save a movie if people already don't like this film. But I do think that it just makes it a little bit sharper, a little bit more interesting, a little sexier. Mm -hmm. So, Let's talk a little bit about the space stuff, because we do get a completely different ending. And also, we have way fewer of these dumb as fuck Jason X soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> Rimmer is really someone that I wish had more to do in this finale. But yes. I, mean, I guess I guess that's the issue, though, with telling this chronologically, is that we're introducing so many new characters at the hour mark of this 80-minute movie. Yup. Also, can we just point out how this iteration of Merchant is so good with a knife that he is able to give himself a buzz cut and still leave like a perfectly <laughs> manicured little bit of hair on his head again with a knife mm-hmm. that uh, that was that was some good work because he they, they, they do give a little bit more of 
you know, you kind of see him grappling with his mental health a little bit. And they've decided to show that mm-hmm. with he's got like this long straggly hair that he decides to to shave off with this knife. Yes. I will say I did appreciate, though, this version of Merchant kind of really struggling like mm-hmm. with the literal generational trauma of being part of the Lemershan like bloodline. Like he is worried about what he's become no not at all you know and and you know you see that conflict where he's like have i become this monster that i'm fighting against through my obsession Mm -hmm. so i I did think that was an interesting element that i do think you know there's still hints of that in the smithy version but they they definitely explore that more here and particularly in the the final showdown with him and pinhead yeah, I appreciated the inclusion of something like a virtual reality therapist because that felt very where we thought the future was going to go. I do think you're right, Trace. This hurts Rimmer because even mm-hmm. the inclusion of that doctor character is reduced screen time for Rimmer because normally John would be confiding in her. Yeah. But I kind of liked that especially if we're going to end with this character dying by suicide to finally take Pinhead out, it makes more sense to say, okay, he is going through some shit. Like he is having to decide whether or not murdering himself so that he can finally end this generational conflict is worthwhile. Whereas in the Alan Smithy cut, he's, he's quite a bit more like boastful, confident white man. Which honestly, there was something I appreciated about that approach. Like, I'm actually not mad about the space merchant that wound up in the Smithy cut. Uh I like Mm -hmm. that he's a little bit bent, but he's also like, I also like the idea that he was like, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy in terms of like, he doesn't, he's not suicidal in that version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this one is probably a little bit more like true to the arc that they're trying to give the character. But I did think it was fun that in the Smithy version, he's just like, He's a little bent, but he's still like got his his like wits about him. Uh here, not quite so much. <laughs> he's just a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah. Well I yeah. think I think if you're thinking in terms of like a studio executive or a marketing assistant or something, this is a harder merchant to sell. Whereas if you give us a kind of space hero guy who's going to save the day (laughs) and maybe get the girl, that's probably an easier story to sell to the masses. I mean, I I don't disagree with you, but I'm also just like, it's Hellraiser. It's already difficult to sell to the masses. (laughs) Truly, yeah. Yeah. Every point counts. Stop trying to make mainstream Hellraiser happen. It's just not going. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think the other, the thing that I like a little less about the work print in the space sequence, like I actually didn't mind a lot of this. I thought it was maybe a little bit better, but it's really just because I don't like the janky army stuff. Yeah. We do not get the amazing Doug Bradley performance as Pinhead realizes that he has been foiled and he has those classic Pinhead lines. Like, we don't get that here because we just go boom. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm wondering to what degree that's because that was the work print. Because I, mm. I do think that if they had played that showdown, I do like, I like narratively this this new showdown between merchant and pinhead where the chains get involved he actually mm-hmm. like chains through merchant mm-hmm. merchant pulls himself towards pinhead uh and i think where they lose it is yeah then it's just like 
Kablin. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's about merchant. It's not about Pinhead. True. But I, th- mm-hmm. I, I feel like if that version had made it to the final cut, I think they probably would have put more money into kind mm. of incorporating the the grand exit that Pinhead gets with mm-hmm. that. Like, I, I just honestly think that at that point, they just hadn't really put the the final, like, flourishes and touches on that. And, and yeah, it was it was disappointing to see. But, like, I had to remember it within the context of, like, this wasn't done yet. So I right. think it would have been pretty gnarly to see that play out where, you know, you get the whole thing with, with Merchant, like, pulling himself up by the chain and then kind of transitioning more into, like, Pinhead getting blown into – like, I love – that's one of my favorite sequences from the Smithy cut is him oh, getting sure. like blown back into the mm-hmm. uh, the, into the, the wall, wall and yeah. his face is just like bleeding out and he just gets that quick like amen and just kabloom. Mm-hmm. Like I think that combining those two things would have been really satisfying. Mm. Right. Yeah. One of the scenes in the deleted scenes or the not quite finished bits is Merchant is actually facing down against a variety of the chains, but it almost looks like a pre-Matrix moment. And I couldn't figure out if it was just that it was missing the effects or if it was suggesting that Merchant had some kind of ability to control like he actually was pinhead's foil he had some of the same capacities in this future timeline and that really got my head spinning about ooh, were we going to try to do something a little bit different with this character after all i think the answer is actually the former but i like your optimism probably (laughs) (laughs) he's a messiah figure he really is a chosen one though he's the only person after you know hundreds of years that can finally take down pinhead so well, I did notice, though, you do catch a very quick glimpse, even in the, the full work print version, you do get that very quick shot of Merchant standing there with, like, four chains, like, poised at him. Like, mm-hmm. because I think that's in the, it's actually in the scene where he reveals that those four chains are pointed at his hologram. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I caught that, too, in terms of, like, there, there was a lot more of a showdown in terms of, like, the chains were so much more involved with yes. with this and how it played out which is so funny because in all of the sequels to this it's like the number one thing that we do is just like use those chains to kill people and it becomes really tired and really boring after about like five or six so <laughs> it's kind of fascinating that four was going to have more of them but it seems like we pulled it back a little yeah yeah hmm. Okay, so why don't we wrap this up by not just inviting listeners who have had the opportunity to check the word print out to reach out, but also, gentlemen, I would like to hear your rating. Do you prefer the theatrical cut, aka the Alan Smithy version, or do you prefer this work print, or do you want to be boring and say some version of the two? <laughs> um, I do prefer the theatrical, if only because I do think it's a bit more cohesive which is kind of weird to say but there are elements of the work print that i would like to have seen made their way over to the theatrical cut um Mm -hmm. i think there's a really i don't want to say really good but like a a slightly better than both versions like 95 minute movie in here somewhere yes yeah (laughs) the elusive jaeger cut the director's cut right It was a weird thing, though, where I was like, oh, wow, this work print's only 82 minutes. Like, I feel like that's so much shorter than the theatrical cut, not realizing that the the credits roll at the 80-minute mark on the theatrical cut. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I'm Brian. Uh, I think ultimately I land on preferring the Smithy cut. Okay. Honestly, it comes down to my need for like narrative symmetry yeah. and the fact mm-hmm. that the Smithy cut has the past, the present, and the future is right. just it, – yeah, it, it for some reason – uh, and this might just be back to that conversation we've had so many times at this point, Joe, where it's like kind of the similar thing as reading the book and then seeing the movie. You know, this is not reading the book, but seeing like the original version of of what yeah. I came to expect and then kind of seeing that thrown off and in a way where like whatever they were doing wasn't done yet. Yeah, it just felt incomplete to me because it kind of was incomplete because it was a work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just I think. The narrative structure is just still more satisfying to me in the Smithy yeah. cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this work print cut is working overtime to incorporate dreams. Like Merchant has re- recurring nightmares that yeah. are used as transition devices to occasionally bring us back to France and then also to bring us back to 1996. And I think in some cases it works. But yeah, I do like having big chunks of time dedicated to a single timeline because then you actually get to feel like you're there right like i often felt a tension between okay do i need to focus on the past compared to the 96 version like in some ways it it flowed more smoothly but i don't Mm -hmm. know that it always made the narrative that much more satisfying if Mm -hmm. that makes sense i think it does but I would definitely take these additional Angelique scenes and put them into the Smithy cut. And then I still want the fucking clowns from the screenplay because I need to see that realized visually. Still waiting. <sighs> well, so basically you said, are you going to take the boring approach and try and combine them? Yes, I was. I'm Trace and I did not do that. And then you come on in and, and sweep that up. I see. I see your approach. You know what needs to happen? We just need to remake the first four movies in the franchise and just do there it. And then we'll just use the original script for this, but but fix it. Um, but we'll just get more like one to one remakes of one and two. I don't know. Three can stay the same for all. I give a shit. Uh, but, but just so really, we're four. just remaking four. <laughs> yeah. But we're we're, we're going to have a studio give millions and millions of dollars for four movies just so we can get the fourth one. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll do a bait and switch. Yeah. We won't actually. We'll take all the money that we were going to get to do a quadrilogy. We'll leave all the first three exactly the same and just make a huge budget pinhead right. in space and just just sink all of our money into that i think there's really there no go. way we can lose on that yeah 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 <laughs> take it to the bank <laughs> <laughs> all right well mr brian if people want to talk to you about the hellraiser bloodline work print how would they get in touch uh either through instagram or blue sky at evil taylor hicks Okay. And Trace, if people want to clap back at you that, no, the work print is obviously easier to understand, <laughs> how would they reach out? Uh, yeah, you can reach me at Trace D as in dog Thurman on anywhere, Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, whatever the fuck, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, on all of our horror queer stuff. There we go. Yeah. And I can be reached at B, stole my remote, and that's the letter B. And folks, if you are listening to this on the Horror Queers feed and you are interested, you can seek out such sites to show. It is on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad network, and we have episodes dedicated to pretty much everything Clive Barker has done except for his longer novels because we're tired. 
But uh, yeah, actually, the the next episode that we're talking about will be a consideration of Books of Blood Volume 5. So if you're interested in reading some short stories, maybe rewatching Candyman, which uh, Trace, you and I have already covered on the Horror Queers main feed. Mm-hmm. That's where we're going to be headed next. Oh, yeah. Until then, uh, we can... I don't know. Trace, do you want to help me out here? Oh, we can cross out the Hellraiser Bloodline work print. <laughs> there we go. And we can cross out this crossover of such sights to show and horror queers. Squad.